0: You're listening to the Go for
1: Growth podcast
0: with Doug Hall. Hi, everybody. This is Doug Hall, your host for Doug Hall's Go for Growth. And today I have a special guest live from Sydney, Australia, another than Matthew Fitzpatrick, whose firm is MJ Fitzpatrick. And he's a kind of a specialist in helping us be our real self. So I'm hoping to learn some, some uh, tips today, and I want you to learn, too. So help me in welcoming Matthew to the show. Matthew? Great to have you here.
1: Good to have you here. By the way, most people call me MJ, so you might uh, you might get a bit of a delayed response if you call me Matt. Yeah, I'll be like, "Wait, who are you talking to?"
0: Yeah. All right. Well, well, we want to use the right handle. So, and 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 frankly, I think MJ is a better branding handle anyway. So I I approve. I agree. So great. Good on you. Tell us a little bit of your origin story. How did you get where you are now?
1: And what are some growth stories you learned along the way? Cool. So I think anytime you ask anyone where they come from. I think there's a lot of different ways they can take it. You can you know talk about things that happened to you growing up or talk about, you know, you were in a business and you thought you could do it better than your boss or whatever it is, but I think at the end of the day it really comes down to following that part of you which doesn't doesn't quite speak very loudly and is actually usually just speaking in a whisper telling you, "Hey, I think I think you need to go in this direction. I think you need to do this thing over here and You can't really ever quite explain it and you're not even really sure why you should go over there. But there's just some part of you which is constantly telling you, hey, you know, you're not where you need to be. It's actually, you know, changing the business or selling a different product or whatever it is along the way. And so Mm -hmm. every kind of business owner I know has had to make a decision like that where everyone else in their wife was telling them it was a silly decision, but some part of them, which they couldn't fully articulate, was actually telling them where they needed to go. So how I've gotten where I am today is. You know, following that part of me—that part of me which has actually been right every single time I've listened to it—and it's been a hell of a journey. I mean, you know, I started working just with entrepreneurs. Um, they mm-hmm. were a great market to sell to. If you're trying to help people get better, every entrepreneur know that knows they need to grow. Know there's more they're leaving on the table. And you know, I worked with them for about 12 months, and then I realized that I wanted to. You know, instead of focusing so much on business, I actually realized that business just sits atop your personal life. Uh, and that you know business is a subset of just how you think about yourself in general, so then started working with people one on one I actually worked with women for about two years straight. It was very fun working with them, very easy to drive business in that realm and then about six months ago, I started working with men as well, and then we uh it became very obvious that I needed to just focus on working with men so for the last six months we 've basically been working with men exclusively that meant closing the women 's side of the business down in about a month, which was 95% of our revenue at the time when we did that, basically retooling the whole company all on a hunch that uh, this is where we yeah. needed to go. Again, followed that hunch and it's, it's all seemed to have worked somehow along the way. So, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is I'm always, trying to, I'm always trying to ask the question well, what's the problem that's actually creating that problem? Because, you know, at least in my experience, a lot of people's businesses aren't working because they're just not selling enough. Um, and they feel uncomfortable selling or they feel uncomfortable, you know, raising their prices or actually asking what that's worth. And, you know, the answer to that is, well, sell more. But the deeper answer is, well, why are you actually feeling uncomfortable selling in the process, right? Why are you right. actually feeling like you don't want to ask for more money? Because I think a lot of people that in my experience in business are fo- focusing too tactically, right? Because everyone knows what they should be doing, right? But it's the question is, well not how do I do it. The question is, well, why am I not doing it? Because if you start going down that rabbit hole, it's a very deep rabbit hole, but then business starts getting easier and easier and easier because you're solving the problem at its actual root level rather than just constantly solving symptoms. And a lot of the people, and especially in my own experience in the early days as a business owner, I was just solving symptoms. Right? I was just Mm -hmm. trying to pump myself up for a sales call rather than asking, well, Why do I actually feel so anxious about this? Why do I not want to do this in the first place? And when I started asking that higher order question, things started moving really quickly for me. So, yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a hell of a ride. I think the biggest change that I've gone through in the company probably over the last three years is I was convinced, and I think a lot of business owners are convinced that business has to be really hard, that you have to grind it out, you have to push through the barriers, you have to smash your goals. You have to break through the next paradigm. And all that is for me is just basically, you know, this is gonna hurt. And I just need to hold on until I get to where I want to go, even though the whole time I'm gonna be in pain. And, you know, I ran my business Mm -hmm. like that for two and a half years and, you know, I I live my purpose. I I love what I do and I didn't like my business. I didn't enjoy it. And I did it because I felt like I had to. And I was constantly pushing myself to do the things that I felt like I needed to do. And hey, it worked, but I wasn't enjoying it. And then I really realized there has to be a better way to do this. That it, business, surely business doesn't just mean me forcing myself to do things I don't want to do and me putting myself through pain to achieve my goals. That, there's got to be some other mechanism for motivation I can use. And then you know, I remember this you know, Richard Branson story of you know, he's got 300 companies or whatever it is, and he, he says the first question he ever asks himself before he starts any new businesses, is this gonna be fun? And if the answer is no, he won't do it. And then I remembered watching in a an interview with Warren Buffett, and he's talking about his relationship with Charlie Munger, who's his right hand man. And he said, you know, we've never not had fun a day in our whole business career. So then I started thinking, okay, well, you know, if these, if these guys are talking about fun in business, maybe that's something I could bring into my own life and You know, we rebuild our whole company and our whole culture and everything that we do from the ground up to be are we having fun? And when we're having fun, business is quite effortless. There's still big problems to solve. There's still massive challenges always that we're dealing with. We're still always trying to find that new way of thinking, that new way of being in our business to help serve our clients more and serve ourselves more. But it's always are we having fun? And if we're not having fun, either we need to change how we're showing up or we need to change the company we need to change how we're doing things because what i've noticed at least in my own experience and i actually think it's universal but i don't have enough data yet to know for certain is when people are having fun they're at their best right when hmm. i'm having fun in a sales call it's effortless when i'm having fun in a seminar working with a client it's effortless and they're having fun as well and then you know we're being lit up by the experience and you know it's a, it's a very uh, it's a very simplistic analogy but there's a, child, a children's movie called Monsters Inc which you know i love using children's yeah. movies because you know you get the lessons and the whole movie is they're using you know the sound of fear to power the city and it actually just takes one person to realize the sound of laughter is actually 10 times more powerful but it's that leap of faith because we've been using fear and pain and what happens if i don't succeed our whole lives to motivate ourselves but if you can take that leap of faith in on yourself and and on fun to think well Actually, if I'm just if I'm just so happy because I'm having so much fun every day of my business life, I'm going to trust that in that way I'm going to be successful. So, if there was one thing that I, you know, I think I had to go through the rites of passage to to really realize what fun was. But if there was one thing I could offer to people out there who are running a company or running a business, like it doesn't have to be hard. You know, there's always going to be difficult problems to face, but you can have fun even though things are difficult. Or you can be Mm. difficult and just be having a very very hard, very challenging experience. And so I think I love the company so much. And now that I love it, everything's easy. Even when it's hard, it's still easy because I'm not making it more difficult because I'm like, you know, setting myself on fire to keep the company warm, which is I think what most business owners are doing and that's just not a sustainable option. So, yeah, if if you can trust in fun, in my experience, uh, you know, business can be a hell of a ride.
0: So think about the, yourself and people you've coached on this and when they are ready to confront that question, which uh, I quite agree with you. I think, I think that fun factor is a really, really important indicator. So, so what kind of levers do they pull once they're ready to cross this sort of over this mental boundary and they're ready to confront this? Wh- what are the two or three most common things you see people do in their thinking yeah.
1: The first thing that I think they need to do is to realize that whilst their business exists to serve their clients, it also exists to serve them and their staff. And Mm -hmm. when you look at when you add that second component of what a business should be in, the whole game changes because really, what you know, I'll just talk about my own experience. Really, what happened when I put fun at the top of the equation is. You know, a bunch of what would be considered normal business things to do, we just stopped doing. So, you know, I work in the seminar industry. It's, you know, you come to one seminar, then there's a more expensive seminar and a more expensive seminar and a more expensive seminar. And, you know, that's the kind of, that's like the normal way that you would sell a product. You just continually upsell into more expensive products. And rather than doing the normal way of doing things, which is just to build that out in a week and then just sell as many people as we can, we're doing things strategically and, You know, I don't work with people for 6 months because I don't have fun doing that, right? Mm. And so, all of a sudden, the products that you're building, am I going to have fun selling this product, creating this product, putting this product out in the world? When we're creating content now, right? We're just about to start out, um, you know, huge social media campaigns. We've got content machine running. When I'm producing the content, when I'm on a podcast, am I having fun, right is what we're talking about fun when i'm sitting down creating our fa- you know writing back to facebook comments creating our facebook posts how can i have fun doing this and everything that you're doing you start becoming really intentional about what you're doing because it's a it's the fun thing so that'd be the first big thing the second big thing that i would say is prepare for pushback it is insane the reactions that you get from people when you tell them that your business exists to create fun for its staff it's like it's like you're telling people that you can that you can teleport to the moon. It's so right. far out of the normal conception of what they think is possible that you're gonna get pushback. And you know, some people will be happy, some people will be interested, but then a lot of people are just gonna be like, you can't succeed that way. It's too airy-fairy, it's too woo-woo to have fun when you're showing up. Business just has to be about the data, it just has to be about the numbers. And I think business is about the data and it is about the numbers, but that data and those numbers, I mean that's just putting the human experience into numbers, right? Like your Mm -hmm. sales revenue is just a number of people who've been so moved by whatever it is that you're doing that they've decided they wanted to be a part of it somehow. And so when you realize, look, at the end of the day, no matter what business you're in, you're going to have to deal with a human at some point. And if you're actually looking at it, that the numbers are designed to serve you and actually your business is designed to make whatever impact you want to make on the world better and at a deeper scale and with more um, with more repeatability, then really everything changes. And so I think the two things in there is, number one, adding in this extra component that, yes, your business exists to serve your customers, but it also exists to serve you and your team and your staff. And I think there's a huge gray area in, you know, customer's always right. Well, yes, customer is always right, but your your staff are always right a lot as well. And so... I think getting into that, you know, beautiful area of, well, yes, we want to have our clients backs, but we also want to have our staffs backs and make them feel supported. And I think the way to do that is to create an environment where people show up and love what they're doing and love the work that they're, that they're doing. And then the second component is to prepare for feedback, but to really realize, you know, the only opinion in your own business that matters is your own. And if you don't feel like something is right, then change it and that you know, I, I love this idea that your culture of your company can be anything you want it to be. It's like you can design the rules of the society, and as long as it's following the rules of the law, you can be any way you want it to be. And I think giving people permission to start to you know let go of all of the people that they hear giving them advice, advice, and really including myself, and really start to follow their own instincts and follow their own hunches. Um, in my experience, magic happens, and when when we're all in our business and it's just magical. We don't know how it's happening. It's just happening. And we all have moments of this where we get into this beautiful pocket and everything just lines up and it's like you show up to work and magic is happening. It's like, well, what if we can try and create every day to be like that? And you my my experience, mm-hmm. everything works. Uh and so if you can put that at the forefront of your own mind, then I think the intentionality in your business just grows massively. And then, you know, things start working the way they're supposed to work.
0: Do you declare this to be sort of a contrarian message to the business owners out there. What you're saying is start with fun, let it serve you and your team. It's a very interesting spin on culturing your business. And I, I, I would, I would class it as a bit of a contrarian message. And, and I personally, I love contrarian messages. I want to hear that. That's tell me more.
1: Yeah. look, it probably is, but the interesting thing is, you know, now it's like, now that I kind of figured this out and I, and I can see it, I, I see it everywhere. And I see, like, I see, I just see someone like Richard Branson and he's just nice. having, the, he's just having the best time in his life. He
0: is indeed. Like, he is indeed. He is, and the whole, and the whole company seems to be that way, right? His whole, all of his adventures yeah. seem to be that way.
1: Exactly. And, and then I think about when I'm at a restaurant and the staff are having fun, how amazing an experience it is and how that, that energy is infectious and how it makes me want to go back and, when I go onto an airline like Virgin Airline and they're, they're having fun and they make me laugh during the voiceover, I, I, I'm like, huh, isn't that interesting how I'm attracted to that and I want to be around that? But I think, you know, honestly, hearing, hearing Warren Buffett talk about his relationship with Charlie Munger and they've been in business for what, four or five decades? They've obviously made really? an incredible amount of money and a huge impact. And to hear him say that they've never had a day where they haven't had fun their whole business relationship. You know, I just realized, look, if he can do it and it's working for him, it'll probably work for me. So I think it is a contrarian message. I think it's going to slowly shift, right? Because I, I think there are a lot of business owners out there who actually really don't enjoy working in their business, but they're forcing themselves to do it because you have to somehow force yourself to do things because it's the only way. Yep. But look, it is pretty contrarian. But I also think, Like at some level, it just makes sense. Like whenever you're having fun, no one has to tell you what to do. You don't have to, you know, be nice. It's just, it's all natural. It's all effortless. And so when you put that at the center of your business, man, everyone just starts having the best time. And, And I think the thing that my staff love about this, you know, we've got a small team, but, you know, I'm constantly saying to them, if you're not having fun, what you're doing, that's a problem. And you need to bring that to me. And we'll either change the product so that you can have fun or we'll figure out what's coming up for you that isn't fun and we'll figure out a way to work it. And then everyone's empowered to make decisions about how they think the business should run. And it doesn't mean we're always going to do it, right? Someone would say, hey, I think we should stop selling that product. I'm like, well, we actually need to start keep selling that product, but maybe we can shift how you relate to that product so you're having fun. They feel empowered that they're actually working in a company which cares right? That like there's actually care there and this company is being built for them so that they're having fun. And I just love the idea of people coming to work and the question in their mind is, am I having fun? And if the answer is no, something has to change. And so yeah, it probably is very contrarian, but I also think it's like quite simple and makes intuitive sense. And it's just about taking that leap to actually doing it. And even if someone listening to this just tries to make things a little bit more fun, just when you sit down at the start of a meeting, Just try and make everyone laugh before you get to business, right? Everything just seems to handle itself because we're at our best when business is just happening, right? It's like, we're not even really thinking about the numbers. We're just showing up. We're in flow. We're having fun. And the sales just happen. The magic just happens. And so I think, well, you know, let's put that first.
0: So give us a little bit of an idea how when you help a business owner or a team, uh, what what are the What's your process, if you will? Do you have a sort of a top-down view of that? Like we start here, we go there, we go there, and
1: we end up here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, look, I've I've really stepped away from you know working strictly with businesses. For me, I'm much more working with people now. Um, But to go through the own experience, I mean, it starts at the top, and you have to get the CEO, the director, the founder. You have to get their buy-in, and if they're not committed to having fun. Within themselves, it's not going to work. And so, mm. what I have found is, you know, they have to hit the limit of the other way of, you know, grinding and hustling. Because, look, grinding and hustling is great. But what about if we can hustle from a place of fun? What about if you can work mm-hmm. long hours and do all of that whilst having fun at the same time? I think like they mm-hmm. have to hit the wall. And when they hit the wall, once they've hit the wall, then they're open to it. Because it's so, you know, as you've said, it's so contrarian that they really have to be like, wow, I need to, to make this change. Because that's what happened to me, right? I was working in my purpose, living in this incredible apartment overlooking Sydney Harbour, You know, working with a very easy subset of clients. I had a product that worked. We had the marketing handled and I wasn't enjoying it. And I was like, all right, like, everything is lined up here. And this still isn't working. Something's got to change. So they have to go through that rites of passage, I think. And then once I've hit the wall, they have to commit to it. And then the big thing is, is the culture has to be congruent. The CEO can't say we're going to have fun. And then his, his or her actions be incongruent with that. And I think that's Mm. the thing. It's like so many, you know, I think so many founders are saying, this is what we want the culture to be, but then their actions are completely different. And, you know, I was having dinner with a actually my very, very first client who's now a friend uh, and he runs a tech company now. They've, I think they've got 16 staff. They're growing to 60 over the next 12 months. And I was talking to him. I was like, look, dude, I don't think your staff feel safe to be honest with you. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you know, what would happen if someone came to work and they told you they didn't like their job? He said, well, I would tell them to leave because there's a thousand other people who would want their job. And I was like, yeah, that's the bit. Right, like Your team doesn't feel safe to speak the truth to you. And that's a massive liability in your company because they're going to see something's wrong with a product, something's wrong with a client, something's wrong with a process. And they're going to be worried about how you're going to react. And they're not going to tell you. And that vulnerability is just going to sit in your company over time. And eventually, it's going to explode. And that's because people don't feel safe enough to be authentic. They don't feel safe enough to speak the truth. And that's coming from you because you're saying, I want the truth, but then your actions are being completely incongruent with that. And I think people can feel that and they can feel that they're not quite safe and something isn't adding up. And so building congruency with you know, founder and executive team and culture, I think is the way to go. And if that's congruent, then that's where the change can start to really happen.
0: Great. So that safe spot literally
1: builds trust in the team, right? Yes. And and perfect. It's yeah, it's crazy sitting down with people who have built a strategy which assumes that their staff isn't going to trust them. And I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. that's your starting assumption. Your staff aren't going to tell you the truth and people are going to backstab each other. And I'm like, okay, like, great. That's the problem you've (laughs) created and that's what you're going to try and go down the bottom of the barrel to solve rather than starting at the top of the river and saying, well, maybe we could actually change that and we could operate from a company of trust. And there are companies out there who operate like that. And you know, I think they're the type of companies who just quietly keep succeeding year in, year out. Their clients love them. Their staff love working there. Because ideally, as a business owner, as long as they're the right fit, why would I not want someone to work for 20 years in my company? Like, assuming they have the fit with their job and they're performing well, why would I not want someone to have that much impact on my company for 20 years if they're the right person? And so when you start yeah. thinking like that, like, well, how do I create culture? How do I create a company where someone's just going to work for me from when they're 21 to when they're 70 and I'm going to have someone be a basin of culture for 50 years? How do I need to start thinking about this job and this role or this company? And you know, I just, I just think that's the right way to do things.
0: Tell us a little bit about the experience. If somebody were to work with you in one of your programs, and it can be any kind of person—an entrepreneur, an exec, you know, a, a father, a mother—doesn't matter. Yeah. Right?
1: you're with yeah. only men now,
0: so you're. Yeah, we're, with, we're with
1: only men. Yes, I, I broke up with the set of all women. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're too bad. <laughs> yeah, I know right. Yeah, I know right. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, my fiance. Know, had, the had had I've left, yeah, I've left them behind. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So look you know what what we do is you know I'll just talk about men in particular because you know the work we do with women was quite different but I'll talk about an entrepreneur actually so you know we've had some very successful entrepreneurs come through our programs you know we've had co-founders of billion dollar tech startups like just guys that if you could pick you know any metric of success wealth physical health you know relationships network we've had the 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 world class of that come through the program and I'll never forget uh, sitting in a room and someone asking a guy who's probably worth maybe 40 million at that time, uh, "Was it worth it? The climb? Was it worth it?" And his answer was, "I don't know." And that started stressing me out. I was like, "Oh wow, that's, I don't like hearing that." And then having another guy who's, you know very, very, very successful tech startup tell me he bought his own plane so then no one could stop him running away from himself. And realizing that people who are achieving massive success not only aren't enjoying it, actually still struggle with liking themselves, actually still struggle with feeling like they're enough, actually still struggle feeling joy or feeling any form of emotion. And realizing, like, once you're out of scarcity with money, I think you know Kahneman did that study. I think it's about seventy thousand US a year. Once you're out of, once you're earning above seventy thousand dollars US a year. Every extra dollar doesn't impact your happiness at all. So let's, okay, let's get to $70,000 a year. Let's all agree that happiness and money is correlated until you get to that point. But then beyond that, like, what's the point of being worth $100 million if you feel like you need to run away from yourself? And so what we do in our programs is we kind of create the space and create the experience. Well, let's stop that. Let's stop thinking that you need to feel like you're not enough to motivate yourself to go and do things so you can get that hit of dopamine when you achieve your goals or someone tells you you did a good job and so you feel like you're enough for three minutes and then you go right back into the rat race. What about if we just don't do that and you actually operate from that place where you're in your heart, you love yourself. I know there's a very airy-fairy terms and if you're an entrepreneur, I probably just lost you there, but these are real experiences. You actually come Mm -hmm. from the place where you're good and you're at peace in who you are, and then you go start your company, and then you go change your company, and then you go get your billion dollars, then the whole game's changed because you're playing a game you've already won. And in my experience, when men are playing games they know they've already won, they're free because they're not so anxious of what's going to happen if they lose because they've already won the game because they're already at peace, which is why we're doing things anyway to get things emotionally from them. Then the whole game transforms and. People just come from that place of joy and the game becomes very easy and they start laughing again. And the big thing that happens with men that we work with is it deepens them, right? Like, you know, when we're, when we're working with women, they would just become so light. It's like there's just these bubbles of joy and power and just magnificence just walking through the world. And it was, it's a sight to behold. For the masculine, for men, you know, it's it just, just about that depth. And we, we kind of meet men like this, and they're just so deep within themselves and so present and so centered that they can just really hold space for so many people around them. And that's really what we give men access to when they come through our programs. And, you know, it's a delight. It's a delight to watch men have fun again. Um, and I think we need that. I think and there are a lot of men out there who are in a lot of pain. And when they can connect with that fun and realize they, they can put that at the center of their life, some really magical things start happening. So,
0: is there any particular personality type that lends towards being more attuned to your work or is it, is it, is well, it yeah. just universal?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's universal, but, uh, I don't know yet. I have to live my whole life. Uh, you but, need, you, and you need, a, you need a little b- bigger data set,
0: right? you exactly. Yes, got to exactly. Accumulating yeah, yeah. stories, right?
1: Yeah. 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 I need a 3 billion uh, person data set. we well, probably 4 billion by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I mean, they have to be open. That's the big thing. They have to be open. Um, and okay. they just have to be willing to acknowledge that their mind isn't the most powerful part of themselves. That's it. Right. If people can show up, if a man shows up with those two things, he's gonna get it. But it's it's really recognizing that we are not, you know, one of the key lessons of meditation is you're actually not your thoughts, you're the thing experiencing your thoughts. If men are just willing to acknowledge that maybe they do have a heart or even they're gonna go crazy, they have a soul, or whatever, you know, metaphor works for them that maybe their gut knows more than their mind. If they're just willing to acknowledge that their mind doesn't have to have supremacy in their life and they're open, we can, yeah, with those two things, if they're committed to doing the work, because it is very hard, yeah, the process will work and uh, it's pretty miraculous. So what's the,
0: so let's say somebody listening to this is curious, which you got my curiosity. How do you invite people, how do you invite people to learn more, right? What's What's your, what's your path?
1: Great. So, website mjfitzpatrick.com. dot um, If you really want to see what working with me is like, go onto YouTube. Just type in MJ Fitzpatrick. Uh, there's something called the Demon Slaying Vlog, which you know you have to use the right language when you're targeting men, and it's actually videos of me working with men. Um, and they they go up progressively. You know, roughly every week, we take footage of me working with a man from one of our seminars. He's given us permission to release the footage, and you literally mm-hmm. see what it's like to go through this experience of having some sort of pain and working with kind of letting it go. Now, once they're a bit interested, you know, uh, in next year in America, we're going to be doing, so it's currently 2019. So 2020, we're going to be in New York, Austin, uh, and then either LA or SF. I'm not sure which one yet. uh, And then come to a free seminar, right? We have a seminar that goes for a day. It'll be free probably for the next six months in America. And then we'll start charging for it. It's called Kill Your Demons. Uh, It goes for about six hours and you come into the room and we show you the process. Uh, And we've had guys leave our free seminar and say, that's the best self-help seminar I've ever been to. And that's having done the Tony Robbins landmark, you know, kind of bandwagon. Uh, And then from there, if you want to keep working with us, great. You're welcome to, we'd love to have you. If you don't want to keep working with us, great. That's okay too. Um, It's just, we want you to get the experience of what it's like to start to get out of your head and see what life is like living from that gut, living as being the hero in your own life. And then, you know, we take it from there, but, you know, just get curious. Um, you know, I'm a pretty easy guy to reach. Uh my email isn't that hard to find. I'm gonna start changing that because I get a lot of emails, but you know, it's not that hard to find <laughs> yeah. me. Um and it's not that hard to, you know, go on YouTube and watch some of the videos and and yeah, you'll you'll start to see what it's about.
0: Great. And we'll make sure we post those links in the show notes here. So when you go find the transcript, you'll find the actual links, you guys. So so you can really chase down MJ and understand what he's doing. So if you were kind of to distill all this. Into like your one best piece of advice for that, and let's just focus on men. Sorry, ladies. We'll, we'll yeah. do that we'll go with this. Yeah, yeah. The man that's the man that's building a business, entrepreneur who hasn't quite patted himself on the back yet. He's business building. He's like, what's the next thing I got to do? What comes to your mind? Number one you piece just, of advice.
1: Yeah, you don't have to set yourself on fire to fuel your business. Perfect. Yeah there's another way. And you know, that's sort of the entrepreneur's
0: uh, story is you kind of do have to set yourself on fire. It's like, I think that's a common belief is you got to throw your all into it. Yep.
1: And, and, you know, let's just, just for those guys out there who love taking action, you can still take the most action in the world. You can wake up every day and, you know, get an ungodly amount of things done, but the fuel that you're using to get that done It doesn't have to be you setting yourself on fire. It can actually be something you enjoy. Brilliant. MJ, um,
0: terrific having you on today. Yeah, thank you. We've got your stuff here, mjfitzpatrick.com. You guys go check it out. Check out YouTube. Uh, I love your message. I love your work. I look forward to you coming to the U.S. and and sharing this. So thanks very much for
1: being on today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. The Go for Growth podcast is sponsored by Resources for CEOs. We help overworked business owners take back control of their time, build a team-driven company, and multiply profits. Get your free copy of How to Get What You Want from Your Business at resourcesforceos.com guide.